everyone. Welcome to Nerdy Latinas Podcast. This is Sabrita speaking, and I'm here today with my co-host, Short Latina. Hello, everyone. And today we have a guest uh, from California. Their name is Sid. Sid is a mixed-race, Taiwanese-American, queer, non-binary, intuitive writer, energy healer, and founder of Blue Jaguar Healing Arts. And today, we want to explore the experiences of uh, queer, trans, and people of color. And today, we will be exploring how eating eating disorders differ within queer, trans, and POC communities. Welcome, Sid. We are so happy to have you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. I am excited to dig into this conversation with you both. And how has have these times been treating you? <laughs> you thought that was the hardest question, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We, um, we have to. Otherwise, we feel insensitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think it's 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 a both and it's an it's all of the above. Um, I think these times have been they've been really layered and really um, really deeply challenging for myself, for others, for my clients, for like just you know existing as humans in this moment in the world, especially on this land and in this country. Um, in the US, um, it's a challenging time as a person of color, um, as a person who is of um, part of immigrant communities, um, who's queer and trans, like it's a hard moment to see ourselves reflected with a lot of hope in what's outside. Um, and then this pandemic, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but wait, there's more. I mean, there's that, there's that, you know. And what's interesting about it is it's, what's interesting about it? Um, I think what's layered about it is that it's been this powerful time for people um, to reflect on what is important. What are the relationships that are important to us? What are the practices um, that we need in our life to feel grounded, to feel safe, to feel supported? Um, What is the importance of community? Um, and being in relationship and being in um, spaces where we are building like interdependence with each other and what does that look like and what does it feel like when we don't have it? Um, I think that what we're seeing structurally is that we live in a world that is really not supporting people at all. (laughs) And it's especially not supporting folks of color, BIPOC folks, it's not supporting Black folks, it's not supporting um, queer and trans folks, it's not supporting people who are outside of this kind of privileged, et, you know, well-educated colonial structure. And if you don't fit for, like, firmly in that, which is most of us, like, we're not, it's not supporting us. And so, you know, we're, it's forcing all of us to really look at this model of care or models of care and say like, well, what does that, what does that need to look like? And if we're going to be sustainable moving forward, what are the practices? What are the ways of being with each other? 
um, what are the spiritual practices? What are the healing practices? What are the just community ways of being that we need to be digging deeper into so that all of us survive? Um, and in ways that feel good for us, that honor all of who we are, like our bodies, our histories, our stories, our ancestry, yes. all of those pieces, right? And Absolutely. so I think like this time is really challenging. It's really, really hard. Yeah. And like, I- <laughs> yeah. yes, it's just really, really hard. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I love your response. I feel like it grounded us completely right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like when our listeners hear that, they're going to be so thankful that you're verbalizing everything they're feeling. And we want to bring this episode about eating disorders and identifying those yeah. because it is such a hard time. I personally find myself emotional eating mm-hmm. just because it's the only way I can cope sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you're, what you're t- touching on, I think what you're speaking to is, is such a shared experience by so many people is this way, the ways that our bodies in times of crisis or our bodies in times of uncertainty turn to comfort. Like what are the, what are the practices or behaviors or ways of being that are familiar um, that help us get through the really hard feelings or help us have to not deal with certain feelings in the moment because it's not, um, it's just too much um, and yeah. that's okay. And, you know, eating and emotional eating or just eating in general is a form can be a form of pleasure and so when we're giving ourselves pleasure like that's a fucking brilliant thing you know there's there's something in this moment that i think i how i approach my work as a healer um as somebody who is working around eating disorder recovery work um with folks and individuals and like just holding space around that is that this is a moment where we just need the permission to be where we're at and that if where we're at right now is our eating disorder behaviors or, or eating behaviors that feel challenging or out of alignment are showing up in, in, in ways that feel more complicated, okay, they're showing up, right? Or those behaviors may be coming back or coming back in in a stronger way. Okay, that makes sense, right? We're in a moment when everything is uncertain, everything is changing, when personal grief and collective grief is at levels that we're not conditioned to. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're seeing political behaviors from our government um, act out in ways that negate and erase and deny um, humanity to so many people, like why wouldn't our bodies be reacting? And of course, so for me, like this is a moment when of course, emotional eating is showing up. If you have an eating disorder, of course your behaviors are showing up. If you're in recovery and you're relapsing, of course you're relapsing. All of that makes total sense. And it's absolutely okay. And it's this moment when we can't, um, like leaning into blame or shame is not actually Mm -hmm. the path forward. That's not what's gonna support us. Um, it may be that's a be- we're used to that. We're used to like you know being in shame mm-hmm. and like beating ourselves yeah. up. I'm really used to that. Like it's really a hard thing to step out of. Someone's like, "Don't beat yourself up." You're like, "Okay, sure," but that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but it's just noticing that like 
where our bodies are not doing anything wrong. They're actually responding really with this deep wisdom saying, mm -hmm. I know what, how to survive this life because I've gotten you to this moment, right? Like our bodies have brought us here. Yeah. And so our bodies know how to survive. And if part of surviving is engaging in behaviors that maybe are not socially acceptable or the, you know, maybe they're harmful to us in this moment, we need to honor that that is what has got us here. And we get to choose how we want to move forward. Right. And so I want to like bring in just like so much like kindness to where yes. each of us are at right now and that there's nothing wrong with how we're eating or not eating, how we're talking to our bodies or not talking to our bodies, how we're exercising or not exercising or moving or not moving or like, you know, binge watching Netflix or not. Like none <laughs> of that is right or wrong. It's mm -hmm. a moment to be like, we are in this moment when personally and collectively our entire framework of what the world is and who we are within it is being completely uprooted and turned upside down or completely just being destroyed, right? Um, so of course things feel hard and of course we're eating more, eating less or whatever that, whatever that relation is, relationship is that you have to food. Of course it's coming up um, because your body's like, I wanna survive this. So in order to survive this, I know how to do that and our bodies are doing that. And that to me is something to be honored and respected and acknowledged. Um, and also knowing that some of those behaviors and some of those ways of coping, right? I, I appreciate you use it, you, you spoke to that as a coping mechanism, right? Like this is a behavior. Because mm -hmm. it's so real, it's like we know how to cope. And sometimes that coping is, is a form of self-harm. And so this moment isn't about doing anything cold turkey and just being like, well, stop doing it, right? Because that doesn't work. <laughs> what works in this moment in particular is saying, okay, this is causing harm. What is something I can do to disrupt that harm and cause a little bit less harm? To reduce the amount of harm that I'm doing on my own body. What could one thing be to do to disrupt what I'm doing? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it, it's so it's so beautiful, beautifully put to just accept this moment. And I love what you said about we are surviving and our body is showing us how. I think we should inform our, our listeners a bit more. Sid, what would you consider yeah. to be an eating disorder? Whew, that is, that's a complicated question. So let me just let me start with a little bit about kind of like how I come to this work. And I think that that will give absolutely my answer. So um, I am a healer. I do energy-based work. Um, and so a lot of my work is, about, is spiritual counseling. It's energy healing work. I'm a Reiki master teacher. And I bring in uh, work that is, is very informed from an understanding of the emotional and the energetic body. I am very intentionally, I've chosen not to go the path of Western medicine. So I'm not uh, like a licensed psychiatrist or therapist in that model. Um, but I am an energy healer and I am certified and trained and work with continually work with teachers. And I work with teachers who 
are in a number of different traditions, including um, indigenous and black teachers here in the US. And um, my work is rooted in this idea that um, our bodies are wise. Our bodies mm -hmm. are deeply, deeply wise and they carry the wisdom of our ancestors as well as the wisdom of just living and being alive in this moment. And if we can build a relationship with this body and this embodied experience, whether or not that this embodied experience is safe in this moment, um, we absolutely can create a path forward for healing. And so I, I come at this work around eating disorders in particular and self-harm because that's my history. So um, I lived for many years with um, a severe eating disorder. Um, the primary form that it took on was bulimia and um, tried so many different interventions <laughs> to get help. Um, mm -hmm. And what I found is that in accessing more traditional therapy and therapeutic models and group spaces um, for support, um, I was actually incurred more harm and more trauma on my body and especially in the ways that I wasn't seen or my identities were erased as a queer person, as a non-binary person, um, as somebody who is mixed race, um, and part of my experience of being mixed, of being Asian, feeds into my relationship to my body and how there was no space also for that in a lot of the, heal the quote, healing spaces or recovery spaces for eating disorders when I was younger. Um, and so that I had to find something else. And in finding something else, that's when I, I found other healers. So I've, been, I've worked with energy healers. I've worked with like non-traditional therapists. Um, and it wasn't until I found a combination of um, spiritual energy healers and then a therapist who did a lot of um, somatic and harm reduction work that I was able to truly go into recovery um, and move through and move away and out of um, a daily lived experience with bulimia. And so that's where I come at this. Um, and I come at this from the place of all of us heal in different ways and there's no one right way to access healing and there's no one right way to go into recovery or be in recovery, um, but that we need to have options. And so it felt really important to me as I was um, just on my journey and in the work that I do to be able to show up for others in the ways that other healers have showed up for me. Um, and so it's, that's, that's how I approach this. Um, I differ from kind of the, the medical models in the sense that an eating disorder is um, something to be fixed. I think an eating disorder is an appropriate response to a really fucked up world. Um, <laughs> and it's, wow, there's like emotion in that as I'm talking, like it's, um, it makes sense given the world that we live in, given the oppression and the systems of oppression that exist, the anti-blackness, the anti-queerness, the misogyny, um, the transphobia, the like fear of, of immigrants, like all of that given that we live in, mm -hmm. like, 
it makes sense that somehow we have internalized and we internalize that there's something wrong with our bodies and that's so we cause harm to our bodies in order to survive a world that is causing harm on us and so that maybe like feels contradictory to say out loud but yet it makes sense and so my work is about saying okay what if we take that fight out from being within the body and we can move away from fighting our own bodies and actually look at what is creating the harm to begin with which are these systems of oppression that are outside of us, which is this world um, that we live in. And what if we are no longer the problem, that we're not what's wrong, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. can, we, can we shift our perception around that? And then in doing that, the eating disorder no longer becomes the focus of the problem that we have to fix. So it's not the eating disorder. That is the problem. The problem is the world that we live in and the systems that we yes. are, have to endure, especially as folks of color, as people who are socialized as female growing up in this world, as folks who are queer and trans and marginalized. Mm -hmm. um, so if we can shift from that, then how can we, and this comes from my practice as a Buddhist, befriend the eating disorder and then in that way that we can have a different relationship to it and that is really where i how i move people in and through recovery um, and that's what worked for me and it's not the path for everybody but it is a path right that is accessible and is available to folks and so to say like well what is an eating disorder um, that's not for me to name, to decide if somebody has an eating disorder or not. Um, I think it's, I use it in a very broad sense, um, in a very broad um, arena that yeah. if somebody <laughs> says I have an eating disorder or I don't have an eating disorder, but I have a really challenged relationship with eating in my body, to me, those are the same thing that we're dealing with. And mm -hmm. I know that, that that goes against the medical model, but that's okay. The medical model is a, is a very colonial model that we don't need to lift up, right? It works in some situations and it works in some contexts, but it isn't the end all be all of, it's not who gets to tell us who we are and what our lived experiences are. Mm -hmm. um, so I leave that up to the person I'm in relationship with. If they wanna call it an eating disorder, it's an eating disorder. If they don't, they don't. But that's actually not what we're working on. What we're working on is their relationship to their body, their relationship to themselves, their relationship to what is external and what is internal. And that's where we see the change. I think that yes. was so, so beautifully said. Um, Absolutely. We're, I'm, we're I'm, in awe, I'm in actually. awe right now. I think, <laughs> I think right now this is a spiritual experience within itself just because mm. just ability to verbalize, you know, um, how complex this, this, um, this can be and just the yeah. multiple layers that, that are within it. Mm. Um, and you, you talk about this colonial, colonial um, medicine 
Yeah. <laughs> can, can you can you tell us a little bit more about uh, why you practice the way you practice and why you steered away from Western mm-hmm. medicine, perhaps reasons that led you to stay away from Western medicine? Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, I encountered a lot uh, growing up um, in, with Western medicine and Western psychology um, is this idea of compartmentalization or segmentation, right? This is, a, this is one symptom, let's fix that, and then you're done. Oh, here's one pain point, let's fix that, we're done. And what it didn't do, at least what it didn't do for me, is offer me a holistic or full picture of what was going on and the space to talk about all of that. So for example, I can, I can share um, one of the impacts for me of decades of having uh, bulimia was um, really challenged digestion um, problems. And I was having really hard times digesting food and having just stuff was going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Some pretty severe stuff with my uh, digestive system. Mm-hmm. And I went to several Western doctors um, and several of them were very dismissive. They're just like, I don't know why you're talking to me. You're fine. Just go see a psychiatrist. Like you're just messed up in the head. You just need to go talk to somebody. So oh, it, was it was really horrible. Oh my God. And then finally I got this one doctor and I'm like, by this time, like my day to day was so unbearable. And I was like, I need help. And, um, she said, well, it doesn't sound like it's that bad or there's nothing really wrong with you, but you know, there is this one medicine you can take, but I don't know, like it was taken off the market because if people were dying on it, but then people fought for it. For the <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. Did you say the side effect is death? <laughs> and, <Stop. laughs> right. And at the time I also did a lot of, uh, pro-choice work and work around abortion access to the abortion pill and I was like wait so there's a pill there's like a medicine that the side effect is death but it's still on the market <laughs> and like oh my god like, come on so there's like all of these <laughs> things like that were just like that were just bl- glaring um inequities and I was like this isn't cool and she's like yeah but if you want to try it you can do that I'm like no I actually um, am not okay with that as a side effect um and so that was really where, for that for that intervention of really looking at kind of like what was happening with my digestion, I was like, I have to find something else. And a friend recommended an acupuncturist to me at the time. And, and so I went to go see the acupuncturist and I, she was like, okay, tell me everything. And I'm like, what do you mean everything? And she's like, tell me everything. And she asked me, like we sat there for two hours and she asked me questions about every facet of my life, every, wow. every experience in my body. Wow. And I start, I just started crying and I'm like, you care about all these things. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I've always thought they were connected, but no doctor ever wanted to hear me. And like, I would try to tell them stuff. And they're like, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that. Um, and this was the first time a healthcare practitioner actually listened and was like, yeah, all of this makes sense. Of course you're having these issues. Of course it's related to the bulimia. Of course, like all these things you're not, you didn't do anything wrong, but of course all of this is happening because it makes sense. And it was the first time I felt seen and heard as like a whole being. Um, And that really shifted my, um, 
understanding of what care could look like and what, like how good it felt to be heard by somebody who I'm asking to care for me, <laughs> help me out. Um, and that was, the, that was the beginning of me really taking um, the steps forward and being able to care for my body and kind of like re, relearn what it meant to heal um, and feel like I was worth healing or I was worth caring for. Um, and so when I, when I talk about kind of like Western models of medicine in general as a very colonial model is that it's like, there's something wrong, let's fix it. And um, what my, the acupuncturist said to me, nothing wrong, it's just shit, just shit is out of balance. So we just have to rebalance stuff, but nothing's wrong. Your body's behaving like, um, makes sense that your body's behaving in this way, but we just have to rebalance it and then it can operate in a different way. And that framework like just stuck with me. I think because it just made so much sense and it just resonated and this thing was like, oh, I'm not broken. I didn't, I didn't fuck up by having an eating disorder. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fuck up. Like that just like, it was just so profound. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, to be told that like, I wasn't wrong. Um, and that was, it was such like this moment of just like, oh, like, oh, there's space here. <laughs> there's possibility. <laughs> um, and so for me choosing not to be in that arena, and I, and I have, I still have a therapist to this day who's like, you know, Western therapist. And there are folks within that world who are amazing people who are powerful advocates who are really pushing to create change. Um, but in general, the larger system of mm -hmm. Western medicine is not, something I wanted to be a part of or to be restricted by. And so as an energy healer, I get to work outside of that, but in complement, I get to complement the, the good work that's happening within that, those spaces. Um, mm -hmm. And by doing that, I get to show up as a healer and as a practitioner and be like, okay, I get to hold your whole self, bring all of who you are into this space. Because in order for us to do healing work together, we can't just look at pieces. We're not segmented beings. We are whole beings. Um, and the wounds that we experience and that we carry with us around white supremacy, around uh, migration and forced migration and, you know, moving, like being separated from places of birth or places of home, um, those wounds are wounds of disconnection and disassociation and segmentation, right? And so what we need to heal is actually more connection and more experiences and embodied experiences of wholeness within our own selves and in the collective body. And to be able to do that, I didn't feel like I could do that in a, a system that operates automatically from a place of disconnection this hurts mm -hmm. let's fix it this hurts yes. let's fix it this is this isn't how isn't normal it needs to be fixed mm -hmm. um, yeah and so much of how that system also treats queer bodies and trans bodies um the way it treats black bodies and folks and the bodies of folks of color the way that so many female bodies are dis, dis um or silenced or discounted mm -hmm. um, 
you know, like it's not, it's not known to be a safe place for people with marginalized experiences or mm-hmm. marginalized um, identities. Um, and healing, I believe, needs to be a space that is holistic, that is affirming, that is embracing of all of our contradictions and all of our complexities where we can bring all our full self to the table and be how do I rebalance this? How do I come back into a state of balance? And balance or coming moving towards balance is a part of the natural world. It's it's a principle that happens in nature is everything moves to find balance in relationship with each other. Um, And so our body's doing that. How do we nurture that? How do we give it space? How do we give it um, like breathing room in order to mm-hmm. find its natural cadence and its natural balance. And that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's so validating to hear that our experiences at, at the doctor um, weren't, it's, it wasn't just me who had a terrible experience of being told I was obese at, at 10 years old. Um, and, you know, and, and doctors answer to getting healthier is just lose weight. Any, mm-hmm. any ailment, just lose weight. But um, I think this is a great time to take a break. Sure. Yeah. All right. So let's go to a break. And we're back. We have Sid here with us today discussing eating disorders. Sid, we've talked a little bit about defining these eating disorders and really uh, multiple layers that can come with recovery. Could you talk to us a little bit more about your healing process? Yeah, absolutely. So the work that I do is I work mostly one-on-one with folks. And um, Sometimes it feels like traditional therapy and other times it doesn't at all. (laughs) Um, So it's a mixture of different modalities. So there's storytelling involved. We do uh, sometimes guided meditation, breath work, um, a lot of talking, a lot of laughing, a lot of crying. It's like all of the places within that. We learn how to laugh at our pain and with our pain as well as cry and hold it um, in tenderness and strength. Um, and a lot of my work is about sharing the ways, um, sharing practices with people around how we can be in relationship differently with our trauma, with our pain, with our wounds, um, so that we can have a different relationship with it. And it doesn't have to take us out in every moment or every day. Um, so I teach practices and that's a lot of what the energy work is, um, is the rebalancing practice ways to, um, be in our body or be with our body um, based on what our experience is or, or comfort is um, to our bodies. And so what a session looks like is um, just being present with each other and with what is up. And so with folks who come to me and like um, specifically around eating disorder recovery work, um, we may go sessions without actually talking about food disorder or those behaviors. Um, at all Um, and that doesn't mean we're not working on the on what is up but it means that we're working with the whole body the whole lived experience with the wholeness of who folks are 
um, and it's addressing with, with what is. And so if somebody is going through some conflict at work, that's connected, right? That's a place that's out of balance. And the more things that we can bring back into an experience of balance that directly impacts our relationship to food and eating in our bodies. Um, and my goal in all of this is, or my vision really, is that if we can really come to a more balanced relationship with food in our bodies, we can move towards a relationship um, of liberation and experience of liberation. Um, and that takes all of us, right? It takes all of us to get to a place of freedom and joy and um, liberatory expression in yes. how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves, like all of mm -hmm. those pieces uh, and what becomes possible uh, when we have the space to actually access the joy that is already inside each of our bodies. Um, and so that's, that's my work is, you know, one of my taglines in, in my work um, is beyond recovery towards liberation is that um, recovery is a path towards getting free. And I absolutely believe that in a world where we all can be free, all of us, right? Where our wounds and histories and ancestral challenges <laughs> and just like experiences mm -hmm. in this lifetime do not have to stop us or block us from experience of connection and wholeness. Um, and so I wanna live in a world where we all have access to being free. We all have access to liberation um, in all forms. And I think we can experience that in moments in our communities and in work that we're doing. We've experienced that in moments um, recently collectively in some of the um, protests and uprisings and the spaces of where we're, that expression of collective rage can be an expression of collective liberation um mm -hmm. as well and can we tap into these moments right and how do we weave those together as a full lived collective experience and what does that look like in our own bodies and what does that look like in the collective body um and so that's what i do in my in the work that i do with individuals is how do we start to experience that on the very individual personal level what does liberation feel like and look like in our breath what does it look like and feel like in the way that we eat or don't eat? How do we access it in the ways that we access sleep or not, right? How do we access liberation or an experience of liberation, <coughs> excuse me, in the ways that we relate to people that we date or that we're in relationship with um, or that we're severing relationship with? How do we experience that? Uh, and so, so much of my work is, is not just about holding um, or giving advice. In fact, it's not really about giving advice at all. Mm -hmm. It's about being with what is and being in the, the possibility of what can be or could be, right? And I firmly believe that in this work, the impossible is possible and that we don't move through... Um, we don't go through recovery unless we think something that's impossible is possible. Um, and so how do we dream that into being together? And then what does that look like in practice? Um, so <clears throat> one of the practices that's been coming up recently, 
actually a lot during this time of COVID, <laughs> um, where I think fear of uncertainty and fear of the unknown um, activates for a lot of people, and especially for me, this, the beliefs in scarcity, that there's not enough or it's never going to be good enough or it's not possible anymore. Or like, ah, it's never going to, it's never going to be good again or whatever, right? <laughs> Nothing's going to be back to normal. You know, I think there's a lot of fears around that. And so this, this idea of scarcity um, is the simple practice, which is, <clears throat> it's both like a, a neuroscience practice, but it's also very much an energetic practice. And so if you can think about what is one belief that is coming up for you these days as we're in the pandemic, as we're in this moment of change, we're in the, you know, we're, you know, less than a hundred days from a really important, you know, political election um, yes. in our country. Like what is, what, what is a belief that you have about yourself or the world? Right. So just, just to think about what is, what's a belief that's becoming really real right now for you um, that feels challenging. Right. And so to think about that, <clears throat> and one of, um, like for one of the beliefs that's coming up for me um, is that no one's ever gonna love me. I'm not like, just, I'm not lovable, right? Um, nobody cares about me and nobody's gonna care about me. And that's a belief that is alive in my body, right? Whether or not mm -hmm. it's true, it's a belief yes. that's alive. So, this is not about whether or not it's true or real or other people believe it or not believe it. It's, I believe it, <laughs> my body yeah. believes it. So therefore it's valid, right? And Absolutely. so each of us have, have one of those beliefs, has made, what actually have many of those belief yeah. systems. Yes. But there are belief systems that are being activated by this moment, right? Uh, and Can so- Can you give us some examples? Of what beliefs are being activated? Yes. Um, I don't deserve to be safe. Um, other examples are coming up of, um, I have no self-control. I am a gross person. Nobody can, you know, I shouldn't, I don't deserve to be part of this world. Um, another one is I'm not good enough. Like yeah. a simple one, but it's very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, nobody cares about me or nobody cares about my community. We're not, we don't have enough. We're not valid. We're not important. We don't matter. I think all of that. And, I'm gonna and those die. are so real. Yeah. No, those are so real right now in our, in our lives. Yeah. yeah. They feel so like they're confining us or just holding us hostage. Those thoughts are definitely real, more real than we want them to be. I was yeah. going to ask, if you can expand a little bit about the message that you send is that the society, society is really misinforming us uh, of who we are and what we're eating and putting in our bodies and telling us that it's bad. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned white supremacy mm -hmm. uh, as it is related to eating disorders almost. Can you yeah. unpack that for me? For, for our listeners, because oh, that that's going to require it's going to be a whole entire episode. episode. But maybe it gives, but maybe just kind of explain to yeah. us how it's related and why why you're saying that. Because I just want our listeners to to understand that you're not just you know you're you're saying truth right now, and it, it's mm. important to know. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's, I laugh because that's, I mean, it's the core, it's the core piece. And it's such a big, like, we're just like, we could just like sit down for a whole weekend and have this conversation. <laughs> um, and there's so much there and all of us hold different pieces of it because we all have different entry points and different experiences. Um, but mm-hmm. before I get into that, I want to just kind of wrap up what I was saying before because I didn't get to share the practice. Oh, yeah, please. Absolutely. So I'm gonna, I absolutely want to dig into this question. Um, so the practice is as you name and like recognize and acknowledge the belief system is to actually just counter it with like, okay, well, what if? What if I do matter? What, at, what if I'm actually enough? What if... Mm-hmm people do care about me? What if I am worth caring for? Hmm. And to just start to ask that question as a form of disruption that I talked about earlier, just disrupts a little bit because it doesn't say it's true or it's not true. It just disrupts it. And so that's the practice in this moment. Like that's a form of harm reduction of like, I'm a horrible person. What if I'm not a horrible person? I don't know. I still think I'm a horrible person, but what if I'm not? Like you're challenging, challenging that thought. Right. Mm -hmm. We're creating conversation and how do we build relationships is usually big through conversations with people right and so if we mm-hmm. want to shift that relationship with ourselves we start a dialogue with it um that is from a place of care and love and compassion and so it's just what if and so i offer that as a practice um mm-hmm. as these stories start coming up of like i'm not enough well what if i am enough and that creates for a moment even if just like a very, very brief, like blink of the eye, moment of possibility. That's one more moment of possibility than we had the moment before. So we can work on that. Um, so that's, and I think that that this piece around what if is so powerful as we move into this question around like how white supremacy shows up in eating disorders <laughs> or how it's related <laughs> to eating disorders. So if we think about eating, right? I'm going to, take it, come at it from this angle. And just start from this idea of eating and food and our bodies. Nobody will argue that as bodies, we need food in order to survive. Like food is a part of how life continues and functions in our bodies. Without food, we're gonna die, right? Yes. So eating is just a natural part of being alive of being on this earth in a living (laughs) form right but what happens when white supremacy shows up or when any type of system that says somebody is better than somebody else or somebody is more worthy than somebody else is that the right to be alive gets taken away and so what if we look at it from a very fundamental place like that, who has the right then to eat and nourish and be nourished? Whose bodies are worthy of being alive and being cared for? Whose bodies are worthy of feeding, mm. right? And so that's a core wound that we hold in our bodies. And who's, and if we think about the ways that white supremacy models in, in the form of imperialism showed up in colonial systems around the world and on this land, how did, how was food and eating controlled? How were certain foods erased or forbidden, mm-hmm. right? Our celebrations, cultural celebrations, which in so many cultures, and I speak as an Asian person, like food is a big part of celebrations. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yes. Um, and ceremony. Um, that when that gets shut down, then this message of like, you don't deserve to eat. Your body is not worth nourishing. Mm -hmm. So like at its very core level, if we're holding those wounds of disconnection, of, of the wound of, of colonization, of white supremacy in our actual bodies, like so many of us do. Wow. Then of course, there's gonna be something like that feel that's out of balance or a disorder, right? That is rooted yeah. in that very core piece of what it means to be alive and to have value. And so what I, how I like to look at it is this idea that as marginalized bodies in this society and in this world right now, eating is a totally radical act. So something that is so normal and so universal, like you have to eat, bees have to eat, beetles have to eat, like cockroaches have to eat, like like bunny, <laughs> bunny rabbits have to eat, like the big blue whale has to eat. We all have to eat. Like it's not something yeah. that is contested. And yet for marginalized bodies, it's become a radical act. And eating and like nurturing and caring for our bodies has become a radical act. And so how do we create more space for that and healing for that and like, like awareness around that? Um, and that I see is like by reclaiming eating and forms of eating and joy in eating and reclaiming food as part of our cultural traditions mm. and the ways that we celebrate and connect with each other and, and weave back stories of like who we are and, and, and places and experiences of belonging is connected to food. And culturally for so many of us, that is, that is real. And how do we reclaim that and like really like own it? That is, is how I see that relationship. And that is a disruption of white supremacy. And that is a disruption of colonization. And that is us saying like, no, this body my personal body, my individual body and the collective body of the communities that I'm a part of are so fucking valid and important that we're gonna eat or we're going to celebrate or we're going to share food or we're going to be nurtured and nurture each other despite the ways that we're told to disappear or not be seen or be smaller or be more feminine or be more constricted to um, models of beauty that actually have nothing to do with the places and spaces of culture um, and communities that we're connected to. Wow. Well, you blew us away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you for that response. It's, oh, I sure. just, thank you for that. Uh, do you have retreats? <laughs> because <laughs> sign me up right now. Yes. <laughs> so funny you asked, um, it's definitely something that uh, I, we were wanting to develop for this year, but then, you know, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the pandemic, pandemic just happened. Pandemic, yeah. Um, <gasps> I am a part of a collective with two other healers um, and we've been doing these uh, like one day healing retreats for women and non-binary folks of color um, called flow. Um, and mm -hmm. we did our last one in January. That was our fourth one in January. And those are here in LA, um, but we've been thinking about how to expand those out. And then I've been wanting to do a lot 
I've been wanting to do more and really build out like what does this mean to do to have space specifically around um, our relationship to food. Um, so mm -hmm. I do, I've done in the past, I've been developing a workshop um, and offering it to through like universities, um, mostly university spaces um, in some community spaces called Food Bodies and Liberation. Um, and hoping to expand that out because I would love to do more in-person someday. Like that is like the dream. It's like, it's just like, that's like the impossible is possible, right? It's possible. So I'm going to believe Absolutely. that it's possible. Yes. <laughs> Putting my like, work into practice um, is to do um, a Food Bodies and Liberation retreat um, at some point. Oh my God. I would love to be part of that. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. It would be specifically for folks of color, um, BIPOC folks and queer and trans folks um, specifically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so how do we hold each other within this, this vision and this um, possibility? Thanks for asking. I think it's gonna be, a, a, it's gonna become true. We'll make sure <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, we just, um. yeah. we all collectively now like dreamed it. So I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And so, uh, Sid, I, as I was stalking you on the internet, I realized <laughs> that you recently came out with a book um, last yes, February. Yeah. And you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so curious on a side note of what you found on the internet, but that's a whole I have the Again. book in my hand right now. <laughs> I, I have the book in my hand as right now as we speak. I purchased the book for this book. for this interview, and awesome. and I'm in the process of reading it. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, Short Latina and I want to raffle this book out to our mm. listeners. And so, listeners, if you review our podcast on Apple Music, then you will be automatically entered into a raffle to win what's called Release, a Bulimia Story. Uh, Sid, could you tell us a little bit more about your, your book? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's called Release, a Bulimia Story. It's a memoir. Um, and it is the fantastic and entirely true story of finding freedom in a queer, mad, and mixed race body. It's my tagline. Um, <laughs> and what it is, is it's, it's my story. Um, uh, growing up um, in this world um, and trying to find belonging and space within it um, and the ways that bulimia came in and was very much my friend and was like okay this nothing makes sense and it's really like complicated and hard um, but I can help you through this and so it, it is a story about that friendship or that love affair that became very toxic um, and I stayed in it because <laughs> also <laughs> part of my wounding um, mm -hmm. and I just stayed in it. And then, so it's the process. I mean, it's the story around the process of what that relationship looked like, how it evolved, and then what it took for me to really release it. Um, and so I talk about some of that spiritual, the spiritual practice um, and the work I did with healers and the spiritual healing um, around ancestral work um, that goes through there. And there's two things about this book that I think are really important to share is one this is also how I experience the world so there's talking squirrels in it there's talking birds like 
They're like, <laughs> well, it's like what maybe feels like fantasy, but it also is a little bit of insight in how I experience the world and how, like what happens in my brain. Um, and I talk to animals, so like that's a big part of it. <laughs> and then the second thing in this is, um, I was very intentional when I was writing this that the last thing I wanted to do was feed the reader shame. And so there is so much shame that is part of mm -hmm. the lived experience of, of an eating disorder or an addiction. And yet it was the last thing I wanted to do would be to perpetuate more shame because that's creating more harm in the world. And so I challenged myself that what if, what if, see, it's that practice. What if I could tell my story, but take shame out of it? Not because mm. I'm, I want to pretend like it wasn't there. It was totally there. Like shame is like totally fucking real. But I didn't yes. want to perpetuate more of it or, or create more of it in the world. We don't need to generate more shame. Absolutely especially, not. And especially for like queer and trans bodies like, and folks of color, like we're already fed enough in this world. Um, and so as you read through it, there, you'll notice that there are pieces in there that I don't, there's things I don't talk about because I'm like, I'm not going to feed you my shame. So it also reshaped the way I told stories um, and how I shared the relationship between myself and bulimia in the story um, is that she wasn't, and I give her a name and she's an, a, a pronoun. So I use she mm -hmm. and her pronouns with her in the book is that she was my friend. And then she became my lover. And in many ways, she was like my first girlfriend. And um, she was probably like my longest, yeah, she was my longest relationship, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I just want to look at it that way. And we're no longer in a relationship. And it was like very like, you know, it was a very horrible, like dramatic breakup. But it was, that's the story, right? And like, it, it was how I wandered through this world trying to find meaning trying to find understanding trying to figure out do I even belong here uh, and where and how do I belong and where do I where can I find connection um, in a world that seemingly didn't embrace me with open arms I'll um, definitely have to purchase that <laughs> <laughs> thank you um and the other thing too is like I was going to be in the process of creating an audiobook this year, but again, COVID. Mm -hmm. So um, if folks go to my Instagram page for um, Blue Jaguar Healing Arts, which is at Release Bulimia, um, every Tuesday we're posting just a simple like home recording of me reading a chapter sequentially through the book. So we posted the first three chapters um, and we're awesome. just going to be going once a week on Tuesdays, um, another chapter. And it's just me reading my words and my stories. Um, one of the things you'll notice that I, you know, in this story, I use she pronouns and in, currently in my life, I use they pronouns. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the book, that was my lived experience is I use she. So it doesn't mean that <laughs> it's not a story about me. It is very much a story about me, but in those moments in that time, um, that was how I lived and experienced um, my gender. But yeah, come listen in on some of our, some of the chapters.
We definitely will. We're we're fucking blown away over here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I just I also want to lift up that you know like there's there's some powerful other folks doing this work too. Nalgona Positivity Pride, trans folks fighting EDs. Like those are two groups that I think are doing some really amazing um, reframing and really challenging the powers that be around what does eating disorder recovery look like for queer and trans bodies and uh, folks of color. And so like, like we're, you know, slowly building. And I think there needs to be the more this, the messages of like not just inclusivity, but space, space for wholeness um, in recovery is really important. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come and be in conversation with you both and learn more from both of you as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please review us on Apple Podcasts to be entered into the raffle to win a book by our guest today, Sid Yang, Release a Bulimia Story. Please let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. We want to thank Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music. You can find their new EP, Amado, on Apple Music or Spotify. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us on our next Nerdy Latinas podcast. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, does it sound like? It does sound like ASMR. It's like. <laughs>